0: So in preparing this message, it's kind of unusual when you get to go to another church, you have the opportunity to uh, do the proverbial Ouija board and say, where do I want to preach? You just put your hand in the Bible and you pick something. Um, It didn't work that way at all. It works out way better because uh, I'm in the regular rotation. And my next rotation up, we're going the entire way through the Gospel of Mark, was this passage in Mark 4. Mark 4. And why I was really excited about this one is because it's not Mark 5. See, I was preaching Mark 4 and Mark 5, and the first part of Mark 5 is the demoniac. And I thought, this will be perfect. I can show up, and my message will be about an exorcism. This will be great. Albert will love it. This is what he... No, this is not what Albert wants me to bring. Um, although I do say his only prohibition this morning was no shorty shorts, so... That's good. You'll get, something, you'll get something far better than that. Um, now, this, this passage this morning, is it's much better. And it's much better, uh, not that it won't get me thrown out, but it's much better because it's the kind of passage that applies to everyone. Uh, sometimes you'll pull a passage out and you'll say, okay, well, that's for so-and-so, but that's not for me. This passage this morning, folks, is for everybody here and for everybody who's not here. All right. This passage has great application, and I think you will you will find that as we go through this, uh, hang with me. I'm a little ADD like Mark is that writes this book. If you can hang with me, I think you'll see that God has something really rich for all of us. So I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read out of chapter 4, starting in verse 35, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. This is God's word. He says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and others' boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I am so grateful this morning for this group of believers, for this body of people to come together in your name, and worship you from Frederick, worship you through Gospel Haiti and through all various ministries and outreaches that they're doing from this church. Lord, I'm grateful for these people and their leadership. I ask the Spirit to be present with us this morning to help us receive your word as a word for us and to help us understand it clearly. And Lord, help us to see where we would take the seeds from this passage and sow them deeply in our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I said, my church is working through the entire Gospel of Mark, and so they got the benefit of the first three and a half chapters. And so I'm going to give three and a half chapters to you in less than three and a half minutes. You ready? Hang on. The Gospel of Mark, interestingly enough, is not the Gospel of Mark. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one Gospel, and if someone tells you there's another one, they are preaching a false Gospel. There's only one, and it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So what you're going to hear from this is the Gospel of Jesus. But it's told by a man named John Mark. So John Mark, if you've heard that name, you might be familiar with him further on in your New Testament. He got to hang out with Paul and Barnabas and was kind of like a roadie with them doing doing the grand tour. Now, interestingly enough, Mark is penned this book some 20 years after Jesus is long gone. So, you see some very incredibly deep detail in this passage if it was written by someone who wasn't there. That's unusual. So, let's connect those dots. What we think is that this is the gospel of Jesus as witnessed by Peter the Apostle as written down by Mark. You follow that connection? Hop to hop to hop. So, Jesus, the gospel is about him, Peter was in the inner circle. He was one of their, you know, you could say if there were a big three of the apostles, he was one of them. He was part of Jesus' closest inner circle. And so being that close together, he got to see intimate details. And you will see intimate details in this passage, right? Where it says, you know, Jesus is asleep on the cushion, right? If you weren't there, you had no clue that there was even a cushion in the boat let alone that Jesus was using that to sleep on. So there's somebody who is like right there action live news getting to see this. And then after Jesus is gone, Peter, you know, takes out, you know, takes out some time with his likely disciple Mark and says, "Okay, Mark, I need you to write down the stories." And so our dear friend is Mark is, is crazy ADD. He is all over the place. He will tell you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then he'll bounce back here and he'll jump back over here. And some of that is because he's a little kind of excited about what he's saying. And some of it is also because the order is more important for him to tell the story than it is to get it in chronological order. So we've gotten to a point now in the Gospel of Mark where he has been very clear that he wants them to understand the Gospel. He has shared that with them right from, from Mark 1.1. 1, 1. He hits them right off the bat. And then over time, we see Jesus work through a series of interactions with the Pharisees where they say, show us something. And he's like, you're missing the point. That's not what it's about. Show us something. You're missing the point. That's not what it's about. And then this is actually in the middle of a section where we are this morning, where Jesus demonstrates his supreme power over nature, over sickness, over death, and over demons. And so all of that, I think that was three minutes is the three-minute version of the first three chapters of Mark that gets you to a place where you kind of understand where Mark has brought us to when we're ready to read this passage and we're ready to get into it. So, now let's jump... Do we have points? I don't know if we did points. Did we do points for slides? Okay, good. Excellent! That's even better. Then I don't have to worry about the slides being off. If you'd like to take notes, point number one, okay, right from the beginning of this, is Jesus is present in our circumstances. Jesus is present in our circumstances. And we see that right from the get-go. In verse 35, we see on that day, right? Okay, what is that day? That day is the day right after what just happened in the first half of chapter 4 where we have familiar stories like, you know, the parable of the seed and the parable of the sower and the lamp under the basket, stuff that are are pretty like, you know, Sunday school classics. We just finished those. Jesus just finished teaching. And now, having done all of that teaching in the morning, he gets to the point where he's ready to get on the boat and cross over. That's the day. And we know from the brief introduction, introduction that it's not that different from every other day for Jesus. He gets up and he's on mission. He gets out the door, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing people, he's driving out demons. He is making his ministry known in complete alignment with what the Father would have for him. And so this sandwich, this story gets sandwiched in the middle of everything else that we already, uh, we've already we already read thus far. Now, the next thing you notice about Jesus' presence in this is that the water crossing that they're about to do is completely Jesus's idea, right? We, we get that, you know, and, and he says, you know, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So there's a very interesting point here about this that we have to connect with. We have read ahead, right? We have, we have the opportunity to read the Bible. We can read the whole story, and we already know the end. Jesus is God, and so he has this fancy thing called omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Not that he doesn't just know everything, but he knows what is, what will be, and even what could be. And so he doesn't need to read ahead. He knows that when they get out in the middle of the water, this is going to be a whale of a storm. He knows this. But he is with them, and he tells them nonetheless... Come, let us go across to the other side. So he is intentionally present. He is intentionally with them. And he's intentionally stepping into the boat with them to go across. This is incredibly important when we start to pull some of these points together about how they interact with him and how he responds to them. Now, a second thing to notice is that Jesus is also not just present, but it's particular to note that his very humanity here is very clear. He's been teaching likely all day. He's probably near horse from, you know, he he doesn't get one of these fancy microphones. He gets to stand there and yell to thousands of people to convey his message. And so you can totally understand that as soon as he dismisses the crowd, he gets into the boat and is like, all right, we're we're going over the other side. Um, It's kind of like if you've ever taken the metro, right? You get on the metro, you know you're not getting off till you get to the other end, you know, and and he's just... (laughs) Right, He's just sacked out because he's exhausted. This is really important to capture because I think it's very easy for us to really grab a hold of the parts of Jesus that are supernatural. Right, The parts of Jesus that are, wow, look at that. When he was here, he was human just like us. The guy was wiped out and he didn't have sweet tea. So he's asleep on the cushion. He is superhuman. And it's really, I think it's so important for us to grasp that. That he was a person in that manner just like us. Because there's connections to all sorts of other parts of passages and all parts of scripture. That if you really don't grasp the idea that he really was kind of like us, it, it's easy to think of him as like a Marvel superhero that kind of dropped in, did some fancy stuff, and left. But there's none of that, right? He's He is one of us, and he's in the boat with them about to go through this storm that's going to happen. So let's talk about the storm. The Sea of Galilee is a body of water parked somewhere in the north-central part of Israel. It is almost 700 feet below sea level. That's really weird for a body of water. And it has these real steep mountains and cliffs around it. And so it gets some fantastic weather. Just the most unusual things you could possibly imagine. And what's even more interesting is that when you connect what's about to happen to the group of people that are here, you can see the reaction is that much more fascinating. Remember, a full quarter of your disciples are commercial fishermen. They have spent their life on the water. In fact, they have probably spent their water, life on this body of water. They've seen it all. They've watched Deadliest Catch. They have their own episode. They know all about it. They've been there, done that. And so, when this storm comes, and the boat is filling, and you start to see their reaction, you you have to recognize pretty quickly that if they're freaked out about this, then this is not a B-grade storm. This is the real deal, and it's got their complete and undivided attention. So, the water is coming in, the boat is filling, Jesus is asleep, and so... Does that storyline catch anyone as familiar? Boat, disciple asleep, big storm coming. I'll sing Veggie Tales if somebody doesn't get it right. Thank you. Um, Nobody wants to hear me sing Jonah as a prophet. Yes, Jonah, right? And it's... it's So for those who don't know the story of Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh, but he really didn't get... Yes, and so... He had a message from God. He had a ministry that he was supposed to carry out. And he said, I got you, God. I'm going to go that way. Took off the other direction, hopped a boat, and ended up in the worst storm that any of those sailors had ever seen. He's asleep. The sailors are freaked out. We have a very, very similar circumstance right here. And Scott Redd uh, recently did a gospel coalition post on this passage of scripture. And he drew some very insightful conclusions. He believes that Mark tells the story that we have in our passage today intentionally to draw our attention to Jonah. He said there's clues here that, that pull us into us and shows us Jesus' humanity, which we've talked about, but also Jesus' divinity. So like Jonah, he was tired, he slept, he spoke for God, but unlike Jonah, he was completely without sin. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5. And unlike Jonah, he was not running from God. He was operating in full obedience to the Father. So a second one of his divine attributes, and one that he set aside while he was here, was his omnipresence. That means that he's everywhere. And while on earth, he was not everywhere at one time. In our story, he's right here in the boat with the disciples. Now, when he returned to heaven, he took up his full divinity. And so now in that manner that he is present with us has changed. He was with his disciples when they got into the boat. He was with them in the storm. And fast forward a few thousand years, he is with us here today. And not just in the happy times. He is also with us in the worst storms that these people have ever seen. And, remember his humanity? Because of his humanity, we know that he understands. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We can have full confidence in Jesus. That he is with us in all of our circumstances. The question then for us is this. Whether things are great or they are a complete disaster, do we recognize his presence in the midst of those circumstances? Do we recognize his presence? That he's with us in those circumstances. Do we believe that as some have, he set the world in motion and walked away? That's not what we see here. He stepped into the same boat that they did. Or do we believe, as the Bible, and I think this passage in particular teach, that he is present with us, present in all of our circumstances? I conclude this first point with Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is not passive. He is not distant. He is very present. Jesus is present in our circumstances. All right, point number two. Jesus has power over our circumstances. He has power over our circumstances. Now, it's one thing for him to be present with us. And often, presence alone is helpful in troubling times. Uh, Albert mentioned, I have nine kids uh, more than half of them are special needs, and some some have some pretty serious medical conditions. Uh, I think my wife and I have spent over a hundred nights in pediatric ICUs and that 's just with one of them <laughs> and Some friends would come and they would talk to us, and they would encourage us they aren 't doctors; they are powerless to fix anything, but we were encouraged by them being present with us it didn 't change the circumstances. But it did lift our spirits. And I think this is a critical role that we can and should play for each other. Presence can change perspective, but it doesn't usually change our circumstances. We have seen that Jesus is very present with them. right? If we, if we look, we picked up now in 38, you know, and the windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking, and the boat was filling... But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Two important things to note from this section. And that's how the disciples reacted to their circumstances and how Jesus reacted to their circumstances. How the disciples react. They are freaking out. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And then the accusations come. Teacher, do you not care? Are you not aware of our circumstances? Do you not know how bad it is? Their hair is on fire, and they are completely freaking out. Contrast now Jesus' response in 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. There's no fanfare there's no freaking out. He rebukes the wind and the sea. This this is not some kind of magical incantation. You're not going to see Jim Cantore get on the weather channel and go, peace, be still, and everything just stop. Right? There's no you know, big moving epic soundtrack before this happens. He's God. He just very simply says, peace, be still. These words kind of have, like, I'm, I'm a runner. I like to run. You might guess if I have nine kids, I've got to go somewhere. Um, I like to run, and if you've ever been out running, and you have like a Doberman comes across the street at you, you're like, oh, this is about to get really bad. Except, if you have a muzzle on that Doberman, it is completely harmless. That's the sense of this, this be still. Jesus has the power to take the storm and just go, nope, nothing from you. You have no power here. So feel this feel this contrast, right? Feel the contrast here between the disciples' reaction and what God had already written to them probably hundred years, hundreds of years before in Psalm 65. It says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, and the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, listen, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. We can see clearly there is a gap, there is a big gap, dare I say an ocean, to make a nautical pun, between their reaction to the situation and who God is in the midst of their situation. And the word for that gap is faith. It's the distance between what we intellectually know about God and what we believe in our hearts about him. And it shows up in our actions. The storm comes and Jesus is sleeping like a baby. Why? Because he knew that the father was not just present with him. While that is true, he also knew that the father had power over this situation. And he had complete faith in him that he would reach the other side. I paraphrase a quote from the, uh, the missionary Corey Tenboom, Boom. was once titled as saying, Until my work is finished... I am invincible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has sufficient power over your life, that until he is done with whatever you're here to do, you are completely invincible? The disciples had seen the miracles, but it it hadn't yet reached their hearts. And when Jesus responds to them, he goes right to the point. Have you still no faith? Or, Or more literally, is your faith still deficient? Are there gaps? And at once, it's very easy for us to see ourselves right in this passage, right in this boat, sitting right next to the disciples. Our trials may be divine appointments to trust and grow in faith. We will encounter more storms. The effects of sin appear all around us. And please, dear Christian, do not think that because you became a Christian that that's going to stop. Go read any of Paul's, and he'll be more than happy to clear that up for you. Uh, It it does not get better. Some of these storms we will bring on ourselves. The choices we make will have consequences. Some will happen through the effects of a fallen world, illness, the sins of others, and a very, very real enemy that seeks to destroy us. Some, Jesus, will lead us into, as he did in the one in the story. Remember, the crossing was his idea. The question is not if we will encounter them. It is how we will respond. Will we respond with fear or faith? Fear is the normal reaction to something we cannot control. And fear allowed the disciples to drop into accusation. Lord, don't you care? Well, of course he cares. At worst, he's in the boat with them. At best, he's the one who created them. But their unbelief permitted their fears and doubts to question whether Jesus really cared. When I was preparing for this, Albert sent me a fantastic quote from Sinclair Ferguson. It says, This is the harshest question in the whole New Testament to Jesus. He was in the world and on the boat and would be on the cross for one reason and one only because he cared. If you remember Psalm 46, That we read to conclude point one. I want to read a little bit more of that. Two and three. Say, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble. At its swelling. God is in the midst of our circumstances. He's present. And he is powerful to change them. And there's protection in him. But... But, and I, and I want to read just a little bit more because I don't want to leave you there. Four and five. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. That city of God, that's heaven language, right? That's God talking about heaven. So even if he doesn't change our circumstances, even if he doesn't alter them, if in fact we even die, There's heaven awaiting us. Do you see that here? We can have faith towards God in all of our circumstances because there's only two outcomes. He will either carry us through or he will take us home. This is a no-lose situation. It may be hard. It may be painful, agonizing, difficult. Be encouraged in your faith today because the outcomes of these circumstances are already resolved. Jesus is present. He is powerful. And so I want to read verses 10 and 11 to bring this point to a close. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When the storms of life rage, do we recognize Jesus's power? And in faith, hide ourselves in him. We are tempted with fear as the disciples were. But do we respond with accusations? Lord, don't you care? Or do we respond with faith? For God is present and he is powerful. The preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, God is too wise to err, too good to be unkind. Leave off doubting him and begin to trust him. For in doing so, you will put a crown on his head. He is present. He is powerful. And now we're ready for point number three. We can trust Jesus through our circumstances. Near-death experiences are great teachable moments. When I was young and foolish, not to be confused with now older and foolish, Uh, I had a bright two-tone green 77 Ford full-size pickup truck, and that is perhaps the least stable vehicle ever on the planet on a corner, save maybe a Volkswagen Vanagon. And of course, as a young person, speed is limitless, right? You don't really pay attention to any of those things, and I was coming around a corner, and I'm pretty sure I was at least 30 degrees with two wheels off the ground. It had my undivided attention from that moment on. At the end of this story, our disciple friends are probably even more shaken up than I was. If I read verse 41 again, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? Now, this question can feel a bit rhetorical. The crowds have been coming, and in their dealings with Jesus, we see over and over again that they are leaving astonished and marveled. I need you to know here the disciples' reaction is very different. This is not the kind of wow you get after seeing an IMAX movie. This is very different. The men here experienced awe. These were seasoned fishermen, experienced the power of God firsthand. Every time we bump into the Pharisees, they're like, give us a proof. We need proof. And here, a group of committed believers gets as clear a sign as anyone could ask for. No one, no one but God and God alone has power like this. And now they, like us, must answer this most important question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The identity of Jesus is an issue we all must settle. I'd wager it's the biggest issue any of us will face in our lifetimes. The disciples have just had their lives miraculously saved by Jesus, and now they are in fear and wondering. In the very next passage after this, in Mark 5, they run into a man who is under the control of many demons. And when these demons come to Jesus, they ask a similar question. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And after Jesus is falsely accused and imprisoned, the government leader Pilate releases another prisoner at the religious leader's request, and he asks the crowd the same question. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And here we are this morning, and you and I are presented with the same question. Who is Jesus? He's healed the sick, he has authority over demons, and even the forces of nature obey him. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Some moral teacher, some kind of magician? No, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the words that calm that storm. Only the power of God could do that. And if he has the power to remove sickness and to cast out demons and to stop a violent storm in its tracks, then he has the power to handle absolutely anything we have gone through, are going through, or will go through. We have found him to be with us. He is present, but being present isn't always enough. We have found him to be powerful, but to have power isn't enough. He is present. He's powerful, but do I trust him? That's the question. Do I trust him? Because that's where faith takes you. If this Jesus thing this morning is all new to you, I am so glad that you were here to hear this. This was new to me once too. Whether you realize it or not, the biggest problem you have this morning are not your circumstances or the storm that you're going through right now. It's the storm you're heading into. You see, every single person here today has broken God's law in action or inaction. And because God is perfect, that means we can't be with him. And so apart from intervention, the final storm in our lives will sink us and leave us completely without God for eternity. But in his kindness... He wasn't satisfied to let it play out that way. He's not just present. He's not just powerful, but he's good and merciful. And he sent a rescuer. And we talked about how Jesus was like us. But the key difference is that he perfectly kept all of God's law. And so his unjustified death could pay the penalty for our failures. And his perfect obedience could be credited to us. And through faith in Jesus, this opens the door to be in the presence of God forever. It wasn't cheap, but it is free freely given to those who respond in faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. If that's a gift that you want to receive this morning, grab Albert, grab me, grab anybody here this morning, grab someone. We want to share that moment with you. You must answer this question for yourself. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, I presume also that many of you here this morning have heard this story before. It's a Sunday school classic. But what do you do when the wind and the waves grow? Is your response to your circumstances based on fear? Fear of the unknown, fear of not measuring up, fear of even dying? Or is your response based on faith? Faith on the finished work of Christ, faith on his merit, and faith that no matter what happens, Jesus is present. He is with us in our struggles. He is powerful. He can and often intervenes. And whether he chooses to intervene or not, we can trust him completely. I am so grateful for Holly bringing this earlier. He has demonstrated his supreme goodness. For while we were still weak, and we are, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's Romans 5. I will leave you with the words of George Herbert. When the winds and the waves assault my keel, he doth preserve it, he doth steer. Even when the boat seems most to reel, storms are the triumph of his art. Though he may close his eyes, yet not his heart. Because of the good news of the finished work of Jesus, we can trust him completely. Would you pray with me? Father, for some this morning, life is great. There are clear skies and things are going wonderfully. Father, I pray that you would be the sun that warms their face. However, Lord, it's my suspicion that many here this morning find life is very hard right now. They find hard places with finances. They find hard places with relationships. uh, Hard places with maybe health. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would hold these dear brothers and sisters fast to you in faith. That they may grow to trust you more and more lord please help our unbelief amen